0: To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Hey JB,
2: do you like being cosy? I do. And do you like staying cosy? I like that even more. Then heading over to www.staycozyclothing.com,
0: where you can find hoodies, tees, sweaters and much, much more. And just enter The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And make sure you follow them on the Instagram at Stay Cozy Clothing to keep up to date with all the new designs. Remember guys, that's The
2: Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And now back to this week's episode.
0: Hey, honey bunny, it's Riv Correas, and you are listening to the Chronicles of Podcast.
2: Conduct a science experiment with my ass, boys. Welcome to Hashtag WBW, Way Back Wednesday. And these are the Chronicles of David Fielding. Why David this week,
0: Jamie? Why David this week? Because Friday we are giving you the Chronicles of Little Nell Campbell, a favourite of mine from when I was a child. And do you know what else is a favourite of mine from when I was a child? Fucking Power Rangers, baby. And this man here, David Fielding, was Zordon. He was. This is uh, quite a cool interview,
2: actually. It's one of those where you're, like, desperate to get somebody from something that you love. Then you end up getting David Fielding and Ron Wasserman in the space of, yes. like, two months. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's pretty sweet. But, yes, we're throwing back to David Fielding this week, obviously, as Jamie just announced, played Zordon in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for a day. Yes. And then ended up being in the entire three series.
0: Go figure, hey? Eh? Quite insane when you think about it, isn't it's it? It's great.
2: It's so great. Um, but yeah, this was a great interview. I really enjoyed this one very much. And obviously, David is also an author. Um, so I believe the book is called glims
1: uh, Yes. Yes.
2: And I believe there's a second one coming out. It might already be out. Uh, but for some reason, you can't purchase in the UK, which is quite
0: frustrating yeah it is a little bit frustrating but you can find it i've no doubt there are ways using the internet to find these things uh, david is absolutely amazing i for people that watch this on youtube i am going to apologize because we use skype not our usual zoom so you've got tom and david on one side and my giant face on the left so it's <laughs> it's it's not the best format for a video but you can still we, hear this we amazing. literally should have put
2: david on that side so he could have been the big head that would have made more sense, considering he's known for being a big head. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's great, but this is a good interview, good fun. If you're a Power Rangers fan, you will thoroughly enjoy this interview, as we find out all about what happened on the set of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Jamie, yeah. Any,
0: I don't know words. Just a massive thank you to David. We had so much fun talking to him. It was awesome. Just to just to humour that little child inside of us all.
1: It was beautiful.
2: And just the fact that we've got a nice little um, voiceover right at the end of the Very interview. Did. Delicious. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Chronicles of
1: David Fielding. Can you see me? Yes. yes. Okay.
2: Awesome. Tommy. Tommy, you there? Yeah, sorry I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. It's because you were all having a conversation for yourself I you not want to start like, jumping in. So apologies. Uh,
1: I love the fact that you're wearing that shirt. That's awesome. Well, this one, yes. Uh, yeah. Ah, are you
2: a Steelers fan yourself, sir? Uh,
1: well, I wouldn't say it was a fan, but I spent a great deal. I spent a great deal of time in Pittsburgh, and I and I really enjoy the city. So there you go. Ah, well, we're off to a
2: flyer. <laughs> 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 this
1: is going to be a great interview, David.
2: You're already a hero to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie, would you
0: like to uh, take us away, sir? Yeah, I was going to say, David. What I normally do is do a little intro, and then we just track on with the interview ask a bunch of questions
1: yeah sounds good
0: sounds good to you wonderful right ladies and gents today's guest brought to life one of the most iconic characters of all time as far as i'm concerned if it wasn't for the immortal words alpha rita's escaped recruiter team of teenagers with attitudes we wouldn't have the coolest kid show ever made here to tell the story about the amazing zordon of eltar welcome to the show mr david fielding
1: Ah, oh. <laughs> thank you for having me thank you thank you
0: thank you so much for coming on my friend
1: oh you bet you bet so uh
2: david how well, first and foremost how's your year been
1: <laughs> <laughs> it has been a year uh 2020 is definitely uh One of those uh, things that's going to go in the record books. I mean, it has just been crazy. Uh, You know, uh, COVID aside, uh, I mean, there's just been so many different things happening this year that are just. It's just like one right after the other. You you know, you you think everything's going to like be calm and, and then something else happens and it's just been crazy. But yeah, yeah. Doing yeah. our best over here. So it's almost like you expect
2: dinosaurs to make a return in December, <laughs> <then>. <laughs> exactly. Right.
1: And um, did you manage to? Uh, did you learn anything new? Did you teach yourself anything, like learn a language, or? uh no, but I, I I have spent a great deal of amount of my time working on my novels. So uh, I've I hope I've used my time constructively. Uh, but again, you know, there's there's always the uh, the that I didn't. There, there's. I, I, wasted a lot of time too. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, play video games and stuff, and I spent far too much time playing Red Dead Redemption and, and um, uh, other things. But uh, I, I, I've kept myself sane. Put it that way. Yeah. I um, mean, I wouldn't call playing Red Dead Redemption a
2: waste of time, to be honest with you. I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd call that definitely productive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I
1: gotta maintain my daily streak. You know, I gotta have my streak. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty close to, to cracking the, you know, the 300 mark. So I got to, I got to keep playing. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. It's the 2020's
2: best year you've spent I think, there, to be fair.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So take us back to the start. Where Where did the desire to start acting come from with you?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I've I've always been sort of a creative-minded individual. Uh when I would read comic books as a kid, uh, my father was in the Air Force, and and one of the things that he brought home for my brother and sister and I to play with was a parachute. And I would take that parachute, and I would make a curtain out of it, and I would act out my comic books for my parents. I would make them sit in the, in the carport while I acted out my favorite scenes from comic books. And I kind of grew out of that as I got a little older. And in junior high, I think it was, I signed up for drama class, and I was going to be uh, in the the school's production of Your Good Man Charlie Brown, that year they were going to do a Charlie Brown show, but for whatever reason the schedule got flipped, and uh, when it came time to sign up for drama again, I chickened out and backed out. But uh, I got back into it in high school, so the the urge to to act to to be a performer was always sort of there, uh, but I didn't get my really my first taste for it. Uh, until high school and uh once once i was up on stage and once i heard the applause and the audience reaction for the first time i was pretty hooked so, yeah awesome why did you uh, why did you back out in junior <clears throat> uh well for one reason the the for the school schedule got got split oh, okay sorry i, I was <laughs> taking I was, I was taking drama in the fall i was supposed to have choir in the spring but for whatever reason i don't know if it was uh some sort of school scheduling conflict or something, but they flipped those, and so I did. I did choir in the in the fall, and when it came time again to restructure my 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 schedule of classes in the spring, I opted not to take the drum. I chickened out. I was like, I'm I'm not going to do that yet. So ah. it, was what it was.
0: Yeah,
2: that's fair enough. Well, how did the uh, how did the role for Zordon come about? Then, were you approached about that, or did you
1: find it? Uh, well, I mean. This, this shows you the power of networking, right? Because um, I went to a... My undergrad college was in San Marcos, Texas, uh, uh, at a college called Southwest Texas State University. It's just, it's just Texas State now. Yeah. Uh, and I made a lot of friends there. And um, when I went to the University of Pittsburgh to get my master in fine arts in acting, uh, a lot of them had moved out to California. So when I got through with my master's program, uh, in the spring of 92. uh, Near the end of the summer of 92, I moved out to California. And I already had sort of like a network of friends out there from people from back in Texas. And two months after I landed in LA, uh, my friend Stacy Fish, who was working at Saban at the time as a production assistant on their straight-to-video movies that they were doing, she was uh, also like second AD for this kids television pilot that they were shooting and she called me up one day and said uh we have a role that i think you'd be great for uh i'm going to submit your name to the casting people and they'll probably call you and i got a call and uh they asked me to come down to the bond building in the afternoon to audition and i thought it was going to be like any other cattle call where i would go down there there would be like a thousand other guys i would read lines go home and never hear anything because that's that's pretty much the process of how things work. And, but when I got down to the Saban building that afternoon, I found out it was just me and another guy that they planned on casting it that night and, and shooting it the following week. And, wow. you know, they wanted to make sure that we were free on the day that they were going to film. And I said, yes, I was free. And um, so he got his lines and he went into one corner and I got my lines and I went into another corner. And they took him in first and he was in there for about 20 minutes and then he left. And then I walked in. And I met the director, the producers, the some of the studio people, and I met the original cast. They were all in the front row. And they had me stand up on a table, and I basically used the voice that en- they ended up using in the show. And Austin St. John, uh, the original Red Ranger, said, well, I guess we found our Zoltar, and that was the name of the character when uh, for the pilot. And uh, they said, thanks, congratulations, we'll be in touch. And I went home and two hours later got a phone call saying I got cast. So. The following week, I was in a makeup chair, got all my hair shaved off, and the rest is history. So.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> how, how did they pitch the character to you, especially with the look of the character?
1: <laughs> they didn't pitch anything to me. It was basically said, uh, the character is a 10,000-year-old wizard. He's trapped at a time warp. Go. <laughs> that, was, that was all the information I was ever given. And I think at the time, for the longest time, that was the only information they had about the character. It, you know, they didn't really go into any sort of detail about where he was from, why he was associated with the morphine Grid, why he why he had the ability to create these Zords and Power Coins and and all this other kind of stuff. That was all just sort of stuff out in the ether. That you know, uh, it, you know, I may be wrong about that. They, they may have had detailed information in in the character bible that I I never saw, but. Um, Because the character was an American invention for the show, there's no Sentai equivalent for Zordon. Uh, They had the Barza character from the Zoo Ranger show, which is where the footage was taken from for all the fight stuff for the the Rangers. But um, there was no real sort of, like, uh, story-associated stuff about Zordon and the Sentai, so they didn't really focus on that. Zordon's function in the show uh, was basically just expository. He would tell tell the Rangers what was going on, the best way to do this, and to you know encourage them all the time, and basically tell you know tell them I believe in you and that sort of thing, which was great. But I mean, it, it was all very surface. There was there was not a lot of depth uh, to it, and of course that's because the show was geared toward a certain age group and. Um, as you, as you get older, you, you start to be <laughs> you start to see how thin things are. And um, <laughs> but uh, it, I mean, it's it's set up for uh, a, like I said, it's set up for a certain age group. But there's also room for a great deal of potential, and we're seeing that in the comic books these days with Ryan Parrott and uh, Kyle Higgins and and the other folks who are working on those books, really sort of drilling down and and getting to the details about answering some of the questions that uh, adult fans might have these days about well why do things work this way why why does why was zordon in charge and was zordon really a nice guy or did he have an ulterior motive for doing all this kind of thing so you know it's very interesting so that's awesome. so i was doing my research for show i was looking on your imdb
0: and it- the Power Rangers is the earliest thing listed. Was that your first job, or is it? just was. It was my first Hollywood
1: job. Yeah, it was my first Hollywood job. First and first and only Hollywood job, really. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But that's and, amazing. What a first job to get. Well, I mean, I I was only in L.A. for about a year and a half. I, I got burned out very quickly because, um, uh, in order to uh, pay bills and pay rent, I I had to take several jobs. I was I was working two jobs. And I wasn't auditioning and I was a part of a a improv comedy troupe out there called the LA Connection. I was working with them for a while and um so after a year and a half of doing that and meeting a number of people that were working at the LA Connection and hearing their stories about living in LA for 10, 15, 20 years and never really cracking it, never really getting a job, just you know getting these bit parts or or walk-on roles and um taking a really hard look about who I was and how I looked and what the camera liked and what the camera didn't like, uh, I, I made a really hard decision about saying, well, you know, I, I don't think the on-camera thing really is for me. And uh, when I was working on the show, I, I became um, fairly good friends with the head writer, Tony Oliver, and um, I had been uh, in addition to my acting, I had also been very interested in, in, in writing from from a young age and uh, had written plays and had written short stories and something like that. So uh, I was I was working with Tony about trying to develop some script ideas for Power Rangers episodes. Had I out there. Had I, had I stayed on the show, I'm fairly certain that I, I might have been given the opportunity to write episodes. Uh, for power Rangers, which would have been a very interesting experience but um i uh i i felt kind of guilty in in a in a way because uh here i was just this kid uh i was twenty nine at the time and i just showed up in l a one day and i got this i got this kid's t v show and there had been people that i'd met that had been there for you know, half their lives trying to do the same thing that I did and still hadn't done it. So I, I felt very, extremely lucky and uh, extremely humbled by the fact that I was able to do this. Uh, but then I found out fairly quickly that it, it really wasn't for me. If if I wanted to stay out there and do some of the things that I wanted to do, there were certain parts of my personality that I would have to change or alter, and I don't think I wanted to be that person. So uh i i made the very hard choice of saying you know what i th- i think i better go back uh back to the east coast and do something else uh do more do more uh stage plays or or something else because uh making tv shows and movies is is a very uh interesting process it's it's a it's a very a lot of for, from an actor standpoint there's a lot of just sitting around and um <clears throat> the feedback loop for, for a film or a television actor is, is a lot longer than normal. Um, if, if, if you're an actor on a stage play, your feedback loop is pretty much immediate. You know right away if the audience is enjoying you, if they're getting what you're saying, if, if they're having a good time. Uh, but like for Power Rangers, for example, we filmed the pilot in October of 92, but it didn't air until August of 1993. So that's a very long time for it to sort of like get back to you to figure out, is this something that people are going to like? Um, so that, that was also something very interesting that I, I had to get, to get to deal with. And uh, I don't know if it's I uh, I wouldn't say it's ADD <laughs> uh, per se, but uh, there, there is a great need to, to, to have that feedback a little bit faster for me or whatever, but yeah. again, every, you know, indi- each individual is different. Had I been um, filming every week like the rest of the cast, it might have been a completely different experience for me, but because they only filmed my character one time and made the decision to recycle that footage uh, for the episodes and I would just go in to do voices, I was only going in to be a part of the show like every five or six weeks whenever they had like three or four episodes ready to go Uh, that's when they would bring me in to do voices. And I would do three or four voices, uh, three or four episodes worth of voice uh, at one time. And then they would say, okay, well, we'll call you when we have the next batch ready. And then I would go away. And so um, I was a part of the show, but I felt very much like Zordon. I was very disconnected. I was very separated from everybody else. And uh, so I think that that was a big factor into me making the decision to be like, you know what? I think uh I think I'll pass on this uh it didn't it didn't have anything to do with the fact that that I thought the show was crappy or that I was treated unwell I was treated very well while I was there but uh I just felt very uh m- very much like uh, I could have been replaceable right? and I was very well <laughs> very soon uh I mean they continued to use my face as as the throughout the life of the character but uh you know they found Robert manahan very quickly and he just took over and that was that and for them it was. It was cost effective for them because, you know, I was like, OK, whatever, we can replace you um, because I was I really was a nobody. I was I was just some some guy that was out there that was trying to become an actor, you know. Well, oh, you've just answered about four questions in one answer there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry because <laughs> I was going to say, like, obviously. I wondered if you were actually there acting or if you've been there for like one part to do, just to do the, you know, I I assume you weren't in a tube.
1: (laughs) No, no, I I was uh, I was basically in like what was like a barber chair and uh, I had been slathered with green, green latex paint and they had a big green screen behind me. So the only thing that showed up on the film was my head and uh, they would take that footage and then they would insert it into. The footage of the command center and they would add like a watery blue filter over it so that he looked like he was wavering or or he was in a time warp or or whatever um so that was all done post-production uh i i wasn't in a tube on set or anything like that i mean the poor guys that were uh in the command center every every week uh filming the episodes they were just talking to a tennis ball on the wall i wasn't even there and they they had uh, some uh some poor PA off on the side reading Zordon's lines, you know. Very, Rangers go to the command center. Oh, no. You know, I mean, uh, and that's very hard for them to try to act against uh, because they were there the day that we filmed, and we had a very good exchange uh, back and forth about you know them being able to react to me. I was able to react to them, uh, and uh, I think we did a really good job for that for that pilot episode. So wonderful isn't that
0: I, were you ever really on the set then obviously I know when you filmed your parts you weren't
1: but no uh, I, I did get a chance to visit the, the juice bar set but uh, I think they were all either filming uh, out in the park and doing some fight scenes while I was there but I got to walk through the juice bar I got to see that and that was pretty cool but there were no cameras there was nobody there <laughs> I was like oh man you know Jeez. maybe Zordon so can pour himself a drink or something <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a shame they didn't use like as like an extra you know, like walking in the background or something i know it was yeah. like a school yeah but you know you could have been like that would have like, been a, that would
1: have been a super awesome easter egg
2: if people have like oh he's there yeah, yeah exactly it could have helped ernie out or something <laughs>
0: <laughs> ernie's new assistant <laughs> so, um were you expecting the show to be as popular as it was when it started
1: uh no i mean i was i was excited about the premise of the show because i grew up watching ultraman and speed racer and uh battle for the planet so uh i i was familiar with japanese uh kaiju and and sentai stuff uh so the idea of big rubber monsters and big giant robots and Kids in Spandex was, that was awesome to me. I thought that was super awesome. But again, at the time, this was before the pop culture explosion, right? So um, the way I saw it is like, this is a great little Saturday morning cartoon show that will last for about a year or two, and then it'll change over and become something else. Uh, Because when I was growing up and I was watching television and. of the Sid and Marty Croft shows were on they would change like every year or so you you get like one season of Sigmund and the sea monsters or um you know uh, it was only like certain cartoons that had like longevity like uh Flintstones or Scooby-Doo or something like that but these live action shows that they do like uh, the Bugaloos and stuff like that they were around for about a season or two and then they would be replaced by something else. So at the time I was thinking this thing would be, you know, a fun little thing to do for a couple of years and then it would go away. Uh, Not realizing and not having no knowledge whatsoever about all the stuff they were doing as far as the merchandising and the toys, which was what the whole show was all about. And um, there was, it didn't really hit me how big the show was until the Christmas season of 1993 when uh, I was walking through the mall uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at uh, Christmas time and, and was passing by the KB Toys and seeing everybody in there fighting over these Power Ranger toys and uh, seeing the Power Dome up there with my face on it and going, wow! i'll never see a penny of that <laughs> but that that's that was the first time i thought oh you know what maybe i should have stayed out there for another six months or something like that but um uh by that time i was sort of like well, oh, it is what it is and um and that was that but yeah at the time no i, I had no idea that it would be something huge no so that's a very long answer again (laughs) that's right no
2: that's what we We like like long answers yeah Yeah.
1: people listen to us for the other
2: hour or so so we don't they don't want to hear us talk during the interview (laughs) (laughs) um so did you have to sign off on your likeness then for the other series um and to them to use to use your face
1: yeah the the contract that i signed the the day player uh contract uh was pretty ironclad pretty pretty i there was a, a lawyer that looked at it and said wow Sorry, buddy, because there was a certain phrase that they used in the contract, which was in perpetuity throughout the known universe, meaning that uh, I would have to journey out beyond Pluto uh, to even like try to file a lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, But so they uh, they owned all the footage that they shot of that day, which is one of the reasons why um, the show was very cheap for them to produce. It was a non-union show meaning that there were no residuals for the actors for the first couple of years that the show was shot. Um and uh when you when you understand how much money they made in that first year from the merchandising the toys you think wow they really they really built this thing on a shoestring and made out like bandits on that thing. Uh and you know more power to them. I mean that, you know that's 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 the way the cookie crumbles or whatever but from an actor's standpoint, it really kind of sucked because it was here. I was on the screen. My name flashes across the screen. I was up there and there was nothing I could do about it or, you know, nothing that I really tried to do about it. Cause I, I understood how the game worked. It was like, well, that's welcome to Hollywood. And that's, that's yeah. how things work.
2: So. Bless you. Now that'll explain why you not, you weren't in the movie then in 96.
1: Yeah, because I, I had moved yeah. out of Los Angeles. They, they had called me when they were gonna produce the film in Los Angeles, because uh, I think it would have been okay for them to fly me back out for it. But when they made the decision to film in Australia, because it was non-union in Australia, uh, they decided to cast a local down there, which again, they would get for cheaper, uh, which is why Zordon looks different in the movie than he does in the TV show.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. So obviously, you
0: said that it was all filmed in that one day, but would, did you ever need to go back to film things at all? Or was it literally all stock footage of that one day?
1: It's all stock footage from that one day. If if you notice in later seasons, they, the character does not move very much at all. He's very static. Um, in the early seasons, they would fuzz out his mouth, and so his head would still move, and he would still sort of have like reactions to things. But you could never see his lips move, and it was easier for them to uh, write dialogue for the character that way because they ne- they didn't have to sync up our- my lips to the dialogue. Um, so from from a technical standpoint, it was it was a really good choice for them because it made production easier. Again, from an actor standpoint, it it sucked because um, if you're not able to react in in real time to the situation, you're um your line readings and your interpretation of the character are going to be very limited it's it's always going to be very very staid and very static and and that's what the character was um and so you like if you're watching episodes like uh countdown to destruction at the end of the se- uh, end of the zordon era zordon's head is just basically sitting there and you just hear his voice there's no real reaction he, his his eyebrows don't move his mouth doesn't move uh, so uh, it was very limiting in a way and that's why I thought the 2017 movie was great with Brian Cranston because uh, the way they used the motion capture and the way that Brian's face was able to move back and forth across the wall of the ship uh, it made the character much more dynamic it actually looked like he was actually there and uh, you know if we were limited by the technology of the time in 1993 so um again you know from a storyteller and an actor's standpoint there was so much potential with the character but it just wasn't part of the agenda of the show so he just kind of got put off to the side and he was there as needed so so to speak yeah
0: that was why i asked because like you were saying with the lip-syncing i was like how could they have so many years of this character you don't know if he said every single word is like right and david i need to say and then but where <laughs> right
1: right and you know if you, if you go back and you watch some of the episodes a lot of the times that zordon is talking uh you're seeing other footage like he's describing what the purse monster looks like or whatever so you're watching the the monster do stuff in angel Grove park while zordon is speaking and then they'll have like a, a two or three second shot of zordon's reaction to that or or whatever so you never really see his mouth move you never really, really see him talking directly to the rangers yeah
0: that's all i'm going to notice now if i look back at all the episodes <laughs> 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 so obviously, obviously you mentioned the 2017 movie we, we, we that must have been quite surreal finding out that brian cranston of all people is going to bring <laughs> re this character you brought to life
1: I mean, before the casting was announced, uh, I would get messages from people saying, you know, who do you think they're going to be cast? Who would you cast if you had a choice? And um, when they when they announced that Brian was going to be cast, I thought, oh, that's pretty awesome. My chances of meeting him just jumped up 50 percent. That's super sweet. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I I really admired him from uh, Malcolm in the Middle and Breaking Bad. Uh, And, uh, of course, he did voices on the show. I mean, he he did uh, the voice of Snizzard in uh, uh, one of the episodes. So uh, he had an association with Power Rangers back at the same time that I did. I mean, uh, so that was awesome. Um, Yeah, so you can go back and you can look up those episodes where um, Brian did a, a couple of monster voices, and uh, I, He had been doing voices for uh, some of the Saban projects before that. I think he might have been—I don't know if he did voices for RoboTech or not—but uh, he he'd had some sort of association with Saban before, or the or at least the the engineers and stuff that worked with Saban that did the voice casting and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, when when they announced that he was going to do it, I thought, oh, that's such a great choice. And then seeing his his performance, I was like, that's awesome. Uh, it was very strange being in the in the audience uh, when the movie came out and hearing the name Zordon, Zordon, and nobody was looking at me, and I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: I did that movie. Did get quite a lot of mixed reviews. I enjoyed it, and I liked their version of Zordon. He was a bit of a dick at the start, which I kind that's of that's what I
1: that's what I liked about it. He was kind of a jerk, and you know, he was so focused on fixing the problem that he couldn't see his own. Uh, contribution to the problem, that he was part of the problem. And, uh, you know, of course he redeems himself through Billy's sacrifice and and that sort of thing. So I thought that was a great uh, reintroduction to the character. And uh, I, I did think that they captured the heart of what the show was all about, that it was about these diverse individuals coming together and believing in each other and creating a team and uh, facing down these uh, these villains and, you know, triumphing in, in at the end. So I, I think they captured the heart of it, but uh, I just think that there were a few missteps that didn't connect with the old fans uh, as opposed to like the new fans. Like uh, Austin St. John and I have done quite a number of conventions together and Q and A's together. And we both agree that, you know, man, the Zords back on the show were so much bigger and uh, they looked, they looked more iconic. You you know, you you saw them and you understood what they were. Uh the designs for the zords in the 2017 movie might have been a little bit too alien uh yeah, for fun. us and uh both Austin and I were like, man, we miss Goldar. We miss our big yeah. golden monkey. <laughs> <laughs> the the big gold monstrosity that they had in the movie was like that's not Goldar. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's
0: awesome. A, Dog. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, were you uh, approached about a cameo? Because I know Jason David Frank and Amy Jo Johnston were in the movie,
1: but were you were you approached about a cameo appearance at all? No, and I, I think oh. that was sort of, a, again, one of those missteps it, it, um, that uh, the producers made, that they, they could have uh, included uh, more of the original cast yeah. in these little small little yeah. cameo roles. I mean, if I'd been the owner of the Krispy Kreme and I'd been sweeping up or something like that, I didn't have to, I mean, just like Amy and... and JDF, they didn't have any lines. You just saw them. Uh, you know, uh, if 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 I had been the owner of the Krispy Kreme, or if Karen Ashley had been Billy's mom, or something like that, uh, I think that would have been those little hooks
2: yeah, that be that
1: would have uh, really appealed to the uh, to the fans of the original show. You know, for them to be able to point and look and go, "Oh, it's them!" Oh, yeah, you know, that that would have been fun. But again, uh, studios make decisions based on who knows? I don't know, a magic eight ball or some sort of <laughs> marketing data or whatever. And, uh, you know, it it all comes down to what they think are the choices that are going to give them the best return on their investment. And um, again, you know, it's like the stock market. You know, who knows how that works? I mean, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's just craziness sometimes. But
2: what can you do? Because they're rebooting it again, aren't they? The movie. They're doing another one. Uh, I believe.
1: I believe Hasbro has plans to, uh, and they just hired somebody to. Uh, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. Um, but he's he's going to be uh, uh, sort of rebooting the the franchise, rebooting the the universe, uh, including uh, possibly an animated version of of Power Rangers, which. Ooh. would be a great opportunity for them to bring back the original actors uh to voice yes. some of the parts and stuff yes, please um in 2018 at power morphicon i had a chance to participate in a live read of kyle hagen's shattered grid comic book and um that was such a super great experience to actually have all of the voices on the on the table at the same time reading it for the audience and it was the first time in 27 years that Barbara and I were Zordon and Rita in the same room together, <laughs> and it was just really great. I mean, you can watch it out on YouTube. It's it's a great little thing. Um oh, sweet. But I mean, I for know. me, that just that just proved, uh, you know, that the audience would be hungry for an animated version uh, with the original voices. Uh, again, just a just a way to sort of expand the universe in a way, in a way. Well, that's how that I,
0: comes up. Did I read that you came back to do the voice for the video game that came out last year? Yeah, that
1: for the grid. Yeah. yeah, I went out. Yeah. And because uh, Kyle Higgins was hired by them to sort of um, massage his Shattered Grid storyline in, into sort of like the single-player game, uh, he brought uh, several of the original actors back to, to voice their characters. Uh, so I did come back and... Uh, did another take on zordon's speech about trying to unite the morpher uh the the rangers from different dimensions together to to fight and stuff so and i also got to do the voice of the blue xenozoic ranger so i actually got to be a power ranger first. oh
2: wow that's um, awesome you, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, i'm currently reading i've got the i've got Mighty Morphin and i've got gogo power rangers down there i'm currently reading at the moment absolutely yeah. loving the books i miss yeah, that shit. They do but, such a great job with them. The oh, absolutely. I'm loving the stories. I'm, I'm trying to crack them all before I read them properly, though, because I don't like
1: having to wait. <laughs> yeah, and I love the art. The guys, they, they get to do the art and the covers and stuff. They're just so dynamic and so they pop. You know what I mean? Oh, and and yes. uh, it's, it's, just, it's just visually pleasing to look at. So, yeah.
0: <coughs> so what I love about... Power Rangers with its huge background, like two movies, not three movies, sorry. It's gotta be what ten different versions of the series now. I have lost count as that many. <laughs> um is it you know, they have their own conventions, like you said, with Palmorphiccon. Now imagine you've got to be looked like as a god at them places. Like you are Zordon. So <laughs> <laughs> like, this would have happened without you. <laughs>
1: um it's very humbling uh to uh to know that people all over the world know who I am. And, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't until 2011 when, when, uh, uh, cause I joined Facebook, I want to say like in 2008 or something like that, but it wasn't until 2011 when I, when I attended my first convention. uh, and I went to uh, a convention in Pittsburgh called Teka which was basically a, uh, anime manga convention and because power rangers was sort of based on that kind of thing i was invited as a guest and that was the first time i sat on stage in front of an audience of people and got to experience uh their sort of side of things and because for me I sort of forgot about it for the long, longest time. It was just a very interesting anecdote that I could tell something somebody at parties that, oh yeah, I was on a kid's TV show way back in the day or whatever. Uh, but it, it really brought it home to me that the the power of the storytelling and, and what it meant to kids who were watching the show back in the day um, some of these kids who came from broken homes or were having a really tough time at school or were dealing with bullies and stuff like that, they had this show to go home and take comfort from or to to make them feel better about themselves or to teach them a lesson or to inspire them to get into martial arts or to be uh, much more heroic in their own lives. I mean, we've met so many people over the years that Grew up to be uh, EMTs and doctors and firemen and and uh, uh, police people, policemen who people who actually put their lives on the front line to help other people every day. And so, to know that we were a positive influence in that way is super, super humbling. I mean, uh, it's it's one of the things I'm most proud about of my life is that I was in some small way, able to touch different lives and sort of lift them up in in, in a little way and, and make things better in the world. And um, again, in, in this time, in this day and age, in, in the year 2020, who doesn't need to be lifted up, right? I mean, well, exactly. uh, uh, it, if, if you turn on Power Rangers and it makes you feel good and it makes you remember what you're what your childhood was like and you forget about everything for half an hour and just giggle about how silly and stupid the show is and um or just you know just really you know enjoy the fight sequences or whatever that's great that's fantastic i mean that's uh all of the all of the things that have been inspired by the show uh there are so many different fan projects and um The cosplay and people who have put so much creative energy into uh paying homage to the show that they loved i mean that's priceless you know that that's that's pure gold so uh i mean i I forget what the original question was but i mean uh, it's uh it's a very humbling experience and, and uh i don't i don't really think of myself as a god um uh, and uh, I try to discourage people from calling me that or or referring to me that way, because uh, <laughs> I mean, so many gods have feet of clay and they topple over very easily. So I'd much rather be an approachable type of. Uh, <laughs> Chubby little Buddha character that you could just come up and, you know, <laughs> throw your arm around and said, "Hey man, let's let's have a have a tea together or something like that." I'm, and uh, I try to be as approachable as possible, uh, uh, without being um, as long as things don't get too overwhelming or whatever. I'm <laughs> I'm an introverted heart and I like my space. So I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's conventions are always fun, and when we do. Ranger Stop or Power Morphicon, which are very Ranger specific conventions, uh, the fan base is is such is such a great community. Um, they're they're always fun to be around and to see their little groups of friends sitting there talking about details and enjoying getting to know one another because of the show. I mean, that's that's very heartwarming and, and awesome. So well, if you ever, well, if you ever
2: allowed back into the UK, then I'll definitely be down there to come and uh, to come and see you. <laughs> well, but- I'd
1: love to. I mean, I have family over there. My mother is is English, and uh, she grew up uh, in the Ipswich area. Oh yeah, uh, over there. And uh, I visited in the in the early nineties, uh, and uh, I was in Ireland in what twenty sixteen? I think it was uh so I, i'm hoping to get over there at some point um uh so yeah i mean i would love to but again we have to wait for everything to calm down and be yeah. safe yeah that kind of stuff that, so. when you were referring to the kids who
2: used to get bullied, i was one of those children that used to get bullied a lot in yeah. my in my past and i've always confided in billy and david yost yeah um huge Everyone was always either Jason or Tommy, Jason or Tommy, and I was always Billy. I absolutely loved him. I was mesmerized by him. Every, the words he came out with, just everything about him, really. I found a lot of uh, inspiration from him, and I found him. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I found comfort in him, basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, people always ask you who my favorite ranger is, and of course, I I don't have a favorite ranger as Zor. I don't think Zordon would have a favorite ranger. He he would try to see all of the rangers as. As equals, and uh, they're all worthy of of wearing the mantle of ranger. But I myself identified with with David's character because, uh, uh, like him, I grew up and I was very nerdy. I had glasses. My favorite dinosaur was the Triceratops. So, uh, oh, wow. Uh, I, I yeah, I identified with Billy. I mean, the blue, the color blue was awesome, um, and I just you know I just think they're all great. I mean. Um, Jason's helmet design, the the Tyrannosaurus, I think is is super awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, when people ask me who's my favorite Ranger, I say, well, I don't have one, but I always identify with Billy uh, because I grew up in, in similar circumstances. I I wasn't terribly bullied, but I, I had experiences of, of being bullied, but um, uh, uh, not to the extent that the, that Billy's character was. But yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> It's good because to, like Tom was saying, you know, he he went to Power Rangers when he was, feeling, when he was bullied as a kid. I was the exact same. No, yeah. I didn't have many friends when I was a kid. If my mom felt the need to punish me for something, it was you're not allowed to watch the Power Rangers. And that <laughs> broke my heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still to this day, if I'm having a really crappy day, and I just want to chill out and cheer myself up, I'll go on Netflix and I'll load up Day of the Dumpster. And I'll be like, ah, this, this is good.
1: Life's yeah. good now. I've got the Power Rangers. It's all good. I mean, that guitar kicks in and it's oh. the best oh. thing ever, man. Absolutely. How have we don't mention that. I mean, That's you know, a there, damn good point. Was, yeah, there, I mean, there were so many factors coming together at the right time. They really captured lightning in a bottle because uh, that rock and roll soundtrack, Ron Wasserin's music is such a big part of the success of the show. Uh, when that theme kicks in, you're just you're ready to stand up and take that martial arts pose and you're ready to go to battle. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. love it. Oh, love fine. this. It's yeah. it, it was so hard
2: to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oof, sorry, I couldn't help myself. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: before before we move on to something, I just wanted to wanted to um ask you about Glims and the order. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we spoke about the power Rangers. let's talk about what's coming up what's ta- what's going on with you now so yeah there, there's about-
1: not a whole lot of information about the order it's it's still uh like in production karen is working really hard to try to get it uh pitched as a series uh so there's that's basically the only information i have about the order at this point we're still still trying to get it made we're still working this year of course things have been a little bit difficult because things have slowed down to a crawl because not a whole lot of people are producing stuff right now, but Karen is working really hard to, to try to get it pitched as a TV series. But that's, again, that's the only information I have about the Order right now. Um, yes? Karen question. Ashley is in Yellow Ranger. I'm sorry?
0: And that's Karen Ashley is in the Yellow Ranger.
2: Yeah, the second Yellow Ranger, yes. Yeah. I just want to say that I love the fact that you've got most of the original Power Rangers cast in the Order, I noticed. Yeah, so like Austin St. John's there, David Yost there, Walter Jones is there, and I forget his name, but he played Bulk, Paul Schreier. Yeah, yeah Paul Schreier, that's it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely incredible. That
1: yeah,
2: I just love that awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: in, in my opinion, Paul Schreier and Jason Narvi, Bulk and Skull, are the heart and soul of Power Rangers. If <laughs> yeah. you didn't have those guys, um, uh, you know, again, it's it's one of those factors of that makes the show what it is, and um, Bulk and Skull have this amazing arc throughout the show, throughout the seasons where they start off as these bumbling idiots who, uh, you know, they they try to be bullies and they are the worst bullies because they're not very good at it. And they're just, they're laughing stocks. But by the end of it, uh, they are heroes in their own right. They lead the charge fighting against everything. So they become very heroic. And I think that's such an amazing arc. and. Paul and Jason are just some of the two of the sweetest guys you'd ever meet, and uh, uh, you know if you if you didn't have Bulk and Skull, you wouldn't have Power Rangers. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, oh, and getting back to to Glims, uh, my writing, um, Glims is uh, was a story uh, that I centered around a character that I came up with by the name of Lincoln Bright, Lincoln is uh, an attuned, means meaning that he sees and hears things that other people don't. Um, as, as an author, uh, you want to come up with stories that uh, uh, are, if, like if you're writing in a specific genre, you, you're always trying to find a different hook for them to, to make it has to be familiar for people if they want to read it but it also has to have a little new spin on it in order to keep them interested (coughs) so i was sitting there trying to think well i want to write a ghost story but i don't want to talk about ghosts because everything under the sun has already been written about ghosts there's ghost hunters on tv there's you know different types of ghost movies that are always being made so I tried to to come up with a different language in order to describe uh, what ghosts might be for the, for this character—phantoms uh, or spirits or whatever term you want to use—and that's what glims are. Glims are Lincoln's term for these uh, nasty, awful, uh, terrible entities that stay behind after somebody passes away. In in Lincoln's world, whenever whenever somebody passes away, we all generate a glimpse. But most of those glims disappear within a, a few seconds or a few minutes because they understand that they're not supposed to be here and they just dissipate. They disappear. Uh, but all of the bad stuff in life, all of the crimes you might commit or um, all of the uh, negative emotions that you might be holding on to your life, sometimes that stays behind and that, that stuff manifests into these terrible entities that then begin to pick away at the fabric of reality, um, what he calls stitching. They, they stitch a hole in the world. And if they stitch a, ni- a big enough hole in the world, something else that lives on the other side is gonna come through. And those are the things from the other side that come through, he calls the dead. And they are these alien entities that are ravenous and hungry and simply live to consume. And Lincoln has taken it upon himself to sort of try to Stop these glims wherever they might manifest, and to take care of them, to to get rid of them. So that's what glims is all about.
0: That sounds awesome. That sounds incredible. I <laughs> think it sounds awesome,
1: and I think it would be a great movie. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those things you know, you know, you have to get it in front of the right person who believes in it. Yeah. So absolutely. And again, that that goes back to full circle, full circle about what we were talking about. How did I get to role of, Z- of Zordon? It's, it's all about the networking. It's all about what you know or who you know or whatever. And so uh, if you if you talk to any uh, celebrity or any uh, film star or something like that, they, they're all gonna have a similar story about there's that one person who opened a door for them or who went to bat for them. Uh, and I think that's a very important element of your success as, as an artist is that you have to have somebody who believes in you and says, you need to take a chance on this. And uh, so I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that somebody out there will read it and go, you know what, i want to take a chance on this.
2: Is um, is Glims available in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's, it's available uh, right now on the Barnes & Noble website. You should be able to uh, purchase it. Um, oh, wonderful, thank you. Yeah, uh, that. I can send you guys a, a link when we get off here. And, and yes, please. Can- Yep, that'd be wonderful. And, uh, Thank you, David. <laughs> it should be on Amazon soon. I'm supposed to be getting like a hard copy of uh, the hardcover, uh, but uh, again, because of COVID, things are moving much more slowly. Book two in L- the Lincoln Bright series, Gaunts, will be out next February, and right now I'm working on book three, Gifts. So
2: wonderful!
1: I'm excited now.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Right, we've we've got some fan submitted questions. Before I move on to Tom, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask?
2: No, I just want to say, David, thank you so much for doing this. You're an absolute. Oh, My, pleasure. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's
1: amazing that we have this technology that you guys are six hours ahead and we're talking in real time. So that's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. so we we
0: look when we do these interviews, we like to put it out to our listeners if anyone's got any questions. We've had a couple come forward. Um, Brucey Bruce wants to know how much interaction did you have with the cast? Uh,
1: in the original filming, not much. I mean, I I met them the day I auditioned, and uh, the day we filmed. Uh, of course, you know, we traded lines back and forth, but we didn't. We never had a chance to like hang out or go to lunch or or anything like that. Things were uh, the day that we filmed. My character was the very last thing that they filmed for the pilot. And they had been filming for a number of weeks, and the director and most of the crew were sick. So they were <laughs> uh, they were a good ways away from me because they didn't want to like get me infected or anything like that. So uh, and because there were a lot of bright lights uh, the day that we filmed, all of the original cast that would stand there delivering the lines they were just shadows to me. And uh, it was only until. 20 years later that I get to go back to conventions and I get to meet David and Austin and Walter all over again. And it was like not a day had passed. They go, oh, yeah, of course we remember you. Yeah, yeah. They shaved your hair off. And and so, yeah, it was. But uh, at the time we had very little interaction, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, do you
0: obviously you said you stepped away. Oh, am I breaking up? No, you're OK. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, you said that you stepped away because you know it wasn't for you but in hindsight do you do you wish that you got to play Zordon on like outside of being a floating head done like a flashback sort of thing yeah i think it would have been great
1: uh, again I, I think that was one of the factors why it was easy for me to uh decide to walk away because from my perspective from from everything that i was seeing uh there was no plans to ever bring zordon out of the tube he was always going to be a uh And he was an info dump, really. He would would just provide all this information, and the Rangers would go and take care of business or or whatever. Uh, There was no plans for them to ever bring the character outside of the tube. Um, And again, I think that was based on the fact that there was no Sentai equivalent. There was no storyline that would sort of guide them to say, yeah, you could explore this character's background because there's footage that they could uh, use to accompany that. and so uh it was very easy for me to sort of well, I mean it wasn't easy, but I mean it was uh it made it much more simpler to say I can I can cut ties on this and walk away and and not feel bad about it. Um but I I I again I think it was a missed opportunity. They 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 could have done uh some very interesting things with the character. I just don't think it was in the blueprint for the show from the from the get-go. And
0: I forgot to say so Jeff Nicholson put that question forward. And Jeff had another amazing question. Now, I'm going to have to paraphrase this to best. Tom, you're going to have to help me out with this one. Your, your okay. memory's so much better than mine. He basically said, what do you think that Zordon's criteria was for teenagers of attitude? Because he himself is a teenager. He's a teacher. And the teenagers in his school do things like order Uber Eats to reception, drink a giant can of Red Bull in one go, and, you know, trash the classroom, you name it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um I don't know what Zordon's criteria for was because from my understanding Zordon didn't choose them the morphing grid chose them uh, but and uh but the whole idea of teenagers with attitude I think when you when you hear that for the first time you think oh yeah teenagers they're lazy they they're uh they're always thumbing their nose at you because you know they're they're all self involved with their own little tragedies or or whatever and <laughs> Uh, Teenagers With Attitude is like, oh, why do I want to deal with this (laughs) difficult person, you know? (laughs) Uh, But but I've always looked at it is that the Teenagers With Attitude is exactly what Kimberly says. We're just not going to back down. That These are are the guys who are going to stand up in the fight, and they're going to continue to fight until they win. And so that's what the attitude is, is uh, that the Power Rangers are here, they're here to stay, and they're not going to back down. Wonderful, absolutely. Oh, beautiful. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why I'm Zordon, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. <laughs> uh, so
0: the last one of these we got from Simon Mitchell. He says, "How many different voices did you try before settling on the one that you chose for Zordon?"
1: That was the voice um, when I went in for the audition. Um, I could uh, because the room that we were in um was i mean it was a it was a large lobby sort of area but i could still hear the other actor trying his vocal interpretation of the lines and he went in a in a a completely opposite direction than i did uh he was he was trying for much more of a wizard type voice he was like power rangers i want you to come in here and you know here are your power coins and i was thinking to myself "Mm." Not really sure that's the angle they're going for. Um, Imagine that in Alpha Oh,
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, when when I was told that the character was a 10,000-year-old wizard and he was trapped in a time war, uh, one of the things that immediately popped into my head was I, I was a big fan of Greek mythology when I was growing up. And uh, I loved the, the stories of these ancient Greek heroes and this uh, group of... Uh, gods that would that would live up on high so the the image that immediately popped into my head was Zeus that there would be this all-powerful all-knowing uh benevolent deity uh even though in the Greek <laughs> myths Zeus is not benevolent at all but uh, uh that's that's what I had in my mind that it would be a much more deeper resonant uh more fatherlike tone rather than this sort of like uh, uh, bizarre wizard-type character who was trying to, you know, change things in the universe or whatever. So I only... I went in with one voice, and that was the voice they chose. So I didn't I didn't try... I mean, over the years, I've always fantasized, you know, what it would have been like, you know, if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger had been sold <laughs> on or, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, it would have been very interesting, you know, to do different types of cakes on, on, on the character. It would have been very, very funny, but... Um, <laughs> You know, maybe Christopher Walken, step in. Zordon, <laughs> take him out. It's crazy, you know. Oh, so <laughs> good. Here's Zordon doing a Christopher Walken impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The command center. Is wonderful. <laughs> you know, Alpha, sweep up because guests are coming over. Do it. Clean it. Wrap it up. Let's go. More cowbell. <laughs> Maybe, maybe we'll do that if a, if a cartoon ever gets done. We'll we'll do that. You know, we'll do oh. the outtakes or whatever. But yes, yes.
0: please. <laughs> that's <a> wonderful. <laughs> can you can you still do the voice?
1: <laughs> U.S. U.K. Chronicles. May the power protect you.
0: Oh, oh.
2: <laughs> absolutely amazing. My mind b- exploded. Then that yeah, was absolutely good. glorious.
0: Oh, that's my ringtone. i ringtone. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> David, thank you so much. Before we get out of here, anything you want to plug—social media, websites, wherever
1: whatever? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at David J Fielding, uh, Instagram DJ Fielding underscore Zordon. Uh, if you do a search for Zordon on Facebook, you my Zordon page, should pop up. Uh, if you like ghost stories, if you like paranormal, urban fantasies, please check out my book Glims. Uh, I think it's an, a great story. I think you'll enjoy the character. Uh, and that's about it. David,
0: thank you so it's much, been an my
1: friend. Absolute
2: it's been, yeah. honor. My pleasure, my pleasure. Glad to thank meet you guys. You. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoy thank the rest you. of your day and stay yep.
0: safe. We'll do. Thank, thank you, sir. You very much, my friend, take thank
1: care. You. Take care. Bye bye. Hey there. I'm Frank Williamelli, and I'm the narrator for the audio drama feed, featuring such audio dramas as Bounty Hunters, Marty and Mars val toby and so much more you can find all of these wonderful programs on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts or you can go to our website at www.audiodramafeed.com we are thrilled to be affiliated with the chronicles of podcast with tom and jamie